Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined, as I always am, by Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, this week by Andrew Brooker. Hello. And Brian Plank. Hello. As we take a look at some Christmas films as it's the Fail Critics Christmas special. Hooray. Yeah. So we're all high on eggnog and got a load of baubles on the go. and <laughs> A load yeah. of baubles on the go. Yeah, baubles on the go. What do they do when they go? Oh, they go, mate. The clang. They, they go like the clappers. Um, <laughs> I'll make sure yeah, I've got some uh, on the go during the pod. There's there's tinsel everywhere. There's a big tree. There's some carol singers outside who I won't give any money to. They can just fuck off and get fed up with it. There's the mistletoe as well for afterwards. It'll be great yeah. fun. Yes. Yeah, I've got it tucked into my belt because I'm hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah. And wasn't Star Wars really good, really bad? Delete is applicable. <laughs> I... <laughs> Let's just say yes. Yeah, it was I amazing. Can why, I can see why people liked it, but it wasn't my favourite. I wasn't. Too... Oh, it was. It, I can't believe they brought back Jar Jar Binks. I just can't believe that DJ Abrams put less effort into that than he did into Star Trek. <laughs> I, I thought Spock turning up was a touch of genius. I, to be honest, I wish I could have seen anything through all the lens flare. <laughs> right, that's that's a Star Wars joke yeah. done. Um, but yes, this, this is our Christmas special. We hope you enjoyed the Star Wars special that's being recorded after this, going out before this, and it's all very confusing. Um, that's a look behind the curtain. Yeah. Anyway, the only real bit of news is, is very briefly that there's some failed critics awards that Owen's going to explain. Yes. So it's the 27th of December, so only a few days left for you to vote now. 27th of December is the closing date, and we, we want to know what your top 10 films of the year are. There are loads of other categories if you want to get involved in those as well. You're more than welcome to. So we've got Best Male and Female Performance, Best Documentary, Best British Film, Best Film Not in the English Language, Best Soundtrack, and Worst Film. So if you'd like to submit votes on all of those, you're more than welcome to. But the only ones we really want to know are your top 10 films of the year. And then, hopefully, before the year is out, there'll be a podcast revealing all of the winners and the loser for Worst Film. Of course. Yes, and unfortunately, listeners, it doesn't look I'm going to be on that one. So uh, sorry about that. Sorry to let you down, take away your your little late Christmas present, but I won't be there probably. Yeah, but we'll have Matt Lamborn hosting. Hooray! We love Matt. He's a great host. He's an all right host. (laughs) I mean, he's he's acceptable. He's he's (laughs) he's he's very much the Richard Keys, where I'm the James Richardson. For those familiar au fait with football hosts. James Richardson, in a very real sense. <laughs> in the sense that he's actually James Richardson. No, and that, that's all E.C. Jimbo says. That if oh, you yeah, listen to okay. Football Weekly, that's one of his catchphrases. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, I've gone too deep. <laughs> gone too, yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, we're um, go if people wanted to vote, just to say, if they want to vote, just go to the website, failcritics.com. The link is still on the homepage. There's just a picture on the on the, the front page. Click that and then submit your votes through the, the website. Am I right in thinking you can vote in as many or as few t- categories as you want to? Uh, not quite as few, because if you wanted to vote in none, then you, then you couldn't. The only one that's required... Well, you could, you could. I, I voted you... in none already. I voted in none several times. Well, there would be pointless going to the website to vote in none. Well, you don't have to go to the website if you don't want to vote in any. <sighs> yes, so, you can vote in... As many as Yes, top ten is the only one that's required, as it were. There we go. Right, on to the Christmas quiz. Owen, what's the current score in the quiz? Doesn't matter. This is um <laughs> this is Christmas it doesn't matter what the previous score is, I don't think. Fine. Yeah. On to the Christmas quiz and so it'll be it'll be it'll be a free freeway then. Fatal yeah, freeway. Awesome. Fatal freeway. Person who gets the most points at the end of this quiz wins. First question then. In the most recent adaptation of Miracle on thirty fourth Street with Richard Attenborough who plays the young girl Susan Walker? What year was it released? 1995. 95, so someone who might be about 25, 30 now. It, it's, she's not done anything since, has she? Mm, yes. She hasn't done anything recently, I'll give you that much. It's, is it the girl who was in Matilda? It is. <laughs> yes. Well, that's not right. I asked for a name. I mean, if no, if no one else comes up with her name in the next couple of seconds, oh, then you can have a point. You no, Greg. <laughs> that's kind of. I mean, normally I would say we can't Google that, but the only way anyone's going to know that now is if they Google it. Surely. I thought you were all film fans. Oh fuck! Uh, what? Brian's got the point. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Okay. Dude, just mark it you. Out of my misery. It was also of Mrs. Doubtfire, Matilda, and Thomas and the Magic Railroad, uh, Mara Wilson. Of course. Yes. Oh, wow, yeah, she's dead famous, that one. Uh, yes. In <laughs> the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause, which other the fictional character... <laughs> the Santa Brian Claus knows, Brian three, knows, I know, Jack Frost. Yes, yeah, it's Jack Frost, who plays the villain... Which other fictional Martin Short. Martin Short is... plays the villain. Yes, you don't get a bonus point for that. He's Jack Frost, so that's two nil <laughs> for the very festive Brian. Is it still Tim Allen in the Santa Claus Three? It, it is indeed. Yep, it would just Why be would... a travesty if they replaced him. Why wouldn't it be? I don't know. The fact that it's the Santa Claus Three. What else has and he it, got on? And it's subtitled the Escape Clause. Unless they're making another Toy Story, he's doing nothing. He's got his own sitcom. Home Improvement hasn't been on for years. No, it's called Last Man Standing. <laughs> and it's basically old man Tim Allen doing Home Improvement again. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> anyway, in It's a Wonderful Life, what does George promise to give Mary at the beginning? A rogering. No, it's not a rogering. <laughs> <laughs> no. Is that a, a nice big house with a view of the stars? No. Uh, a Christmas tree? No, Owen. <laughs> it's, the, it's the it's the moon. Oh, so what you oh. want? The moon on a stick. I mean, come on. Okay. 
What was the name of Scrooge's old partner in A Christmas Carol? Jacob Marley. Yes, Owen, so you're, Jacob you're Marley. back in the game here. It's it's now Brian 2, Owen 1, Brooker, none. Because he doesn't yeah, like... The Christmas tree let me down. Because he doesn't like I'm, Christmas. I'm okay, I'm okay with this. I'm beginning to see a flaw in being invited onto the Christmas podcast, sir. So. <laughs> uh, complete this line from the film Elf. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is... A good rogering. <laughs> if only virally again we're going back to good rogering <laughs> no it, it does it does rhyme beer? is it with beer no you're, you're all useless it's singing loud for all to hear <sighs> oh, oh, that was my that. next guess <laughs> right Maybe, I don't know if this will be easier I've lost all faith in you for, um, what year was Home Alone released 1991. You are wrong, Owen. Uh Uh-uh. 92. You are wrong, Brian. Oh. 94. No, Owen. And you've had your guess. Oh. 90. Just 90. 1990. There we go. 1890. 1990. 1990. Well done, Brooker. You're, uh... Back in the game. You've now got a point. Back in the game's a bit strong. I'm at least on the board. Right, strictly, you've got one guess. One guess each at this. It's the last bloody question in <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I've really lost the Christmas spirit. Now. <laughs> oh. You're asking us to name quotes from films. What right? other kind of Christmas film, Christmas quiz do you want? There's not that many. <laughs> oh, I have a fill in the blank. There's not that many Christmas. <laughs> actually, there's not actually many Christmas films around that people will, like remember that like. You know, good trivia. You got it's a wonderful life. You've got about three different versions of um, a Christmas Carol. You've got Elf. There's a bit twenty-eight, I think. Elf. <laughs> that, yeah, but like the main ones, you got Muppets. Um, the one, the animated one that you're going to be talking about later, and Scrooge. And that's probably about your main Correct. three. Steve, you get a point. You're on the leaderboard. Yeah. <laughs> you are win. really, Steve. You've got really angry after Star Wars. Just let it go. <laughs> It was just so stupid. I didn't think they could make one. That, that is a good Christmas film. Hey, Star Wars Christmas special. Is there a question about that? No. Right, last last question. (laughs) Uh, Machine Gun was the answer to um, Brian's question, by the way. Yeah, you get a point as well. Thank you. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Who plays Rusty Griswold? Johnny Galecki. Well done, Brooker. Johnny Galecki. Yeah, well done, Brooker. Um, I, I haven't done a tie. I haven't. I haven't done a tie break, to be honest. I've lost, <laughs> I've lost the will to live. I think, I think we've wasted enough time on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> worst quiz. Worst quiz ever. And, and my original <laughs> idea was really good. So I'm really pissed off that we've got to wait till 2016 to do that one. Yeah. Is that enough, just is that to make enough, it be enough, yeah, time? enough time. That's a long yeah. time for everyone to think about it. <sighs> yep. It'll be the best quiz ever then. <laughs> In this week's What We've Been Watching, we're going to look at some Christmas films that we've seen over the last uh, week or so in the run-up to the festive period. Owen, why don't you start us off with what you've watched? Okie dokie, I watched the Disney version, um, that's the the more recent Disney version of the classic Christmas story, uh, well, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, uh, that was directed by Robert Zemeckis, 
who uh, is actually, I mean, he's no stranger to actually doing kind of big schmaltzy and sentimental stories that are also a little bit dark and kind of grim at the same time. I think Forrest Gump is kind of considered quite schmaltzy, but has some very dark, grim moments in that. Who Framed Roger Rabbit sort of scarred me as a child with a bit at the end and the the, the rolling, like the flattened bag. Oh, that was just scary. Uh, Castaway as well, kind of similar in that sense. This was actually released in 2009. It came in, it came last in the run of three movies by uh, Zemeckis that used motion capture, um, the animation technique. So the others were Polar Express, which was in 2004, Beowulf in 2007. And I'll be honest, the only reason I ended up watching this was because I went to Netflix to see what Christmas films they had listed in their festive category, and they were all shite. There were sequels to films I'd never heard of, or just like really cheap looking cash grabs by production companies just trying to put out any old shite and call it a Christmas film. This was the only one listed that I hadn't seen before. You know, it was that afternoon. I just thought, fuck it, I'll just watch this. I'll pull it on. Stars Jim Carrey in a number of different roles. He plays Ebenezer Scrooge. And I think he plays all of the ghosts except for Jacob Marley, who is played by Gary Oldman. And there's also Colin Firth. Uh, Bob Hoskins is in it. There's quite a few recognisable voices and faces because like the motion capture, they still keep the same faces. It's a bit weird. And you know what? Surprisingly, I actually thought it was pretty good. I kind of enjoyed it. The, clearly, there were bits there that were meant to be in 3D, so they were slightly jarring. Uh, and the animation is already starting to look a little bit dated. But on the whole, it did look quite good. As aside from like it... It looks like a film from pre-2010, but otherwise it, it was impressive. I, I dread to think how long it must have taken them to animate London the way that they did. Never mind the, the work on the actual characters themselves. The, the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future were all well designed. The way they moved and interacted with the world around them as well was what was most impressive, I think. At one point during Scrooge's visit from... The Ghost of Christmas Present, I think it was. There's a, he's inside a house that's flying over London and you can see through the floor in the house. And it seems really simple, but the way that it, it worked was really good. It was really spectacular in that way that Robert Zemeckis, when he really pulls it out of the bag, can actually do. He can actually make these really properly mind-blowing visual uh, spectacles. So similarly, when Scrooge is sort of whizzing around his hometown with the, the Ghost of Christmas Past, again, it leaves kind of sort of stunned at how, how beautifully animated it is. Um, but what I really liked about it, though, and it's what I touched on at the start of this review, was how there were quite a few sort of scary or darkly funny scenes in it. So the film opens with Scrooge pinching the pennies off the eyes of Jacob Marley's corpse, which, you know, is quite a disturbing thing for a Disney film to show. I mean, how many corpses lying in coffins have there been in Disney films? You know, and I mean properly dead, not sleeping before yeah not too many yeah it's not doesn't happen very often does it and then when Mo the ghost of marley turns up he's kind of terrifying he's kind of freaky and at one point his like jaw falls out of place because his bandages that are tying it to his head come undone and it's one of those moments where you laugh and then go oh straight afterwards like well that's pretty that's pretty grim that's that's making me grimmer slightly i guess it's kind of how tim burton sees his films these days but very rarely manages to to actually do um but yeah it's got a great score it's kind of orchestral and there's a choir and it's quite Christmassy. and i guess kind of most important and most importantly about the film it does feel quite Christmassy. 
as well as a whole as you'd expect because it's a very faithful adaptation apart from the weird animation and stuff and i was very pleased that i chose to watch it because i enjoyed it i'll probably watch it again at some point in the future on another christmas and um yeah i'll be pleased to do so it was it was pretty good Good. Have you guys seen it? Have you guys ever watched it? Or have you got a favourite version of the I, Christmas Carol? I've watched bits of it when I was taking an English class. So I've seen mm-hmm. the Ghost of Christmas, Present and Future, but only those bits. Okay. I've yeah, the, the, the present bit was pretty good. Wait, is, is Christmas past the, the massive bearded guy that says come in and know me better? That's present. Is, I've seen that bit too. Oh. That's present, yeah. Past right. is like a flickering candle thing. Which looks really good as well, but it's got a straight because it's Jim Carrey's face again, so it's just weird. It just looks strange. Well, it's quite nice, quite nicely animated. Did you did you just say you've seen it as well, Brooker? Or... No, I've never seen it. Yeah. Have you guys actually got a favourite version of a Christmas Carol then? Muppets, Scrooged, Muppets, Muppets. Yeah, it's hard to beat it, isn't it? Muppets are great. Mm. I think the new TV show's going down quite well as well. I've only seen a tiny bit of it. And that was Nathan filling walking out of Miss Piggy's trailer and doing a zip up. Why was fucking horrendous? I I think it's really odd tonally in terms of they're making a show. It's one of these things where you have to pitch it for kids and for grown ups, but I think they're pitching it too high. Was it mm. was it Nathan Fillion dressed as David Cameron? No. <laughs> Bearing in mind that's probably a lie. Well. Oh, Never yeah, I've got was. pictures of it, but you, you can't see them. Yeah, bye. <laughs> anyway. Topical. Brooker. Topical jokes. <laughs> Brooker. Yes, you, mate. You. You, me. You, yeah, you. I am me. You. I, uh, me. <laughs> you. Fucking hell. <laughs> me, I, uh. You. <laughs> <laughs> so much editing. <laughs> That's why I've taken the extra week because it's going to be so much to cut out. This won't be edited, I guarantee it. I was so pleased that I didn't have to edit this today. As soon as we started, I knew this was going to be a long one. <laughs> I'm not even drunk. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst bit about it. I'm, I'm drunk on festive cheer because it's so close to Christmas. It's only two slash three days. I can't tell. It depends when you're listening oh. to this, really, doesn't it? It's two slash three days until I finish work for Christmas. Does that count? Yeah, why not? Yeah, there's <laughs> something to celebrate. Yeah. It's more well, worth celebrating when you break up from work more than it is Christmas Day, I think. Well, out of, in- out of interest, like, because people from not round my end, end, like I'm in the hood, like, who don't endorse it, oh, live where I do, right? So, my girlfriend's from Manchester, she came and spent Christmas with us last year. Every Christmas Eve, we go to the pub and get really very drunk. That's not what they do. That's not what her like family and friends do. What's everyone else doing Christmas Eve? Is is she the weird one or am I the weird one? In terms of Christmas Eve traditions. Are you trying to tell us you've got a drinking problem, Steve? This is um this is an odd way to, to bring it up. <laughs> well <laughs> uh, you know, things ha- things happen on this podcast. People make announcements and <laughs> and then we swiftly move on. So yes. Brooker. No, but, um... <laughs> but seriously, related to that, what does people what do people do on Christmas Eve? My uh, my family all have a get together up at theirs and drink, not at the pub, just in their house. Yeah. I no, stay at home because I have a two year old. 
Yeah, I, I, we don't really do anything other than open our Christmas presents because usually on Christmas we're going somewhere else. Oh, I can't be doing with opening Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. No, I haven't even got. I haven't even got decorations up. There's no. There's no tree. There's no tinsel. No. I've got an advent calendar that I've not opened since the fifth. (laughs) I haven't got any decorations up yet, but then I move. I've you know my first Christmas in this place. It's like decorations are well expensive. We've got to try and get some free ones. Scav some tinsel off of family members. Just don't bother this year and steal everybody's rubbish in January. There'll be plenty in there. Yeah. Could use some leftover wrapping paper like just patch it around the wall, I suppose. <laughs> Have you seen the voices? Has anybody seen the voices? No. I love the voices. You know what the bit where he what? stops taking the the tablets and sort of sees his actual flat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared that I'm going to wake up one morning and my house looks like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Steve's going to wake up to if he just starts sellotaping bits of paper, like wrapping paper all over his house, just in random places. But, yeah, that's... We go and play football in the daytime, like a big 11-a-side game, then just go to the pub. That just sounds like a Saturday for most people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's got Christmas hats. I don't think my my grand and granddad would be up for an 11-a-side game. Well, no, I don't do it with my family. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, Brooker, what have you seen? You. What have I seen? Me? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> oh, God. Stop. Brooker. I, I call shotgun being Tinchy's Rider. Uh, fucking yeah. hell. Right, yeah. So, I watched, uh, after last week's talking of it with, uh, with Krampus being so good, I went on and watched Gremlins because I just couldn't help myself. And I was in a, I was in a very Gremlins-y kind of mood after watching Krampus. And I... So I went and found myself a copy and literally finished watching it 45 minutes before the podcast started because of life getting in the way. And <laughs> it took, literally, it took me two sittings to get through it because I just started falling asleep. I was exhausted when I tried to watch it, which was horrendously stupid. But anyways, so yeah, I mean, everybody knows Gremlins. I assume everybody knows Gremlins. Yeah. Any, anybody that doesn't know Gremlins, we will wait for you to go and watch it and come back. Because well, just have... pause it. Carry on, Brooker. Yeah. We can't wait that long. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, I say, you know, teenager gets uh, a cute little half rabbit, half alien thing. I don't know what it is. I can't remember if they explained it later on in Gremlins 2, but they don't in the first one. I don't think they explain it as anything. No, it's just a little monster it's thing. It's a mogwai. That's all it is. It's yeah. a mogwai. Yeah. Very, I, I, I so desperately want a mogwai. <laughs> like, like, still, the film's 30-something years old. I still want a mogwai. It's so awesomely cute. But, so, yeah, a kid gets a mogwai wow. for Christmas. And, you know, he gets his instructions. Don't let it eat after midnight. Don't get it wet. Don't get it, you know, don't let it see bright light. Which he, within about the space of ten minutes, ignores all three. Oh, he's, he's rubbish, isn't he? As a, as a, yeah, don't give shit. Don't give don't give pets as presents. There's a message for everyone. Basically, it really is. basically, if you gave that dude uh, a dog, he'd leave it in a hot car. He would. Almost instantly. Even if it was at Christmas, he'd find somewhere warm to park. Yeah. And then leave his dog in there. He's a complete retard. And he completely fucks over this poor little thing. Anyway. So, Mogwai gets wet and, and he multiplies to many furry little Mogwais. And then 
he feeds them all after midnight, where they turn into gremlins, who proceed to tear us about his tiny little town and just cause complete havoc. And I'll be honest, I completely forgot just how funny it was. I, I know, I always remembered loving the film, but it's been quite a few years since I've seen it. And I was just, I was in bits. It's so stupid and just so funny. As these things get absolutely wasted and take over a bar and break dance and play cards and shit. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Such a cool, fun little Christmas film. Although I don't quite understand why it was 15 rated when it came out because it ain't violent at all. Well, it's kind of violent. Isn't there a bit where it gets microwaved, one of the creatures? <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty gross. The microwaving <laughs> after another one gets put through a blender. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't one get shredded in the second one? They go in and shred their legs first. It does. Yeah, because the second one's in the uh, office block, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't seen the second one for re- absolute years, and the only thing I remember of the second one is the gremlins mouthing along to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Literally the only thing I remember, I've got it recorded so I can sit and watch that at some point over Christmas as well. The second one's good. I I was sceptical when I went into it. It's It really goes full-on cartoon yeah. violence. But it's still pretty good fun. And Christopher Lee's in it, and he's always yeah. great to, to see. But it was just so much fun. I couldn't believe how much fun this film was. Because it was a bit like when, you know, a bit like seeing Krampus, you go, oh, well, I'm seeing a horror film. Well, I'm not. It's not scary. Mm. It's not, okay, microwaved gremlin aside. It's not particularly violent. It's just daft. You know, hour and 45 minutes of daft. And I can't think of a better way to spend my Christmas afternoon I really can't. Let everybody else watch the Doctor Who special. I want to watch Gremlins. I'll join you. I yeah. think it's a really good film. But my uh, my goal now actually is to find a Mogwai and a and a what do they call him Stripe, the main guy. <laughs> I want one, and I'm just I just want just models. Obviously, I don't well if I can get a real one, that'd be great. But you know, just models. And I want to sit them near my TV because I just they're, they're awesome. There used to be a Warner Brothers store. Near, uh, is it in Birmingham or it might have been in the shopping centre where I grew up? And they had all of those models just hidden throughout the store. So <laughs> some of them would be like in the corner, some of them would just be behind some shelves and stuff. That was pretty cool. I always used to like going in that shop. They got, they're just amazing. They've got such brilliant, like maniacal laughs. Mm. Like they're, they're so great. And I, I didn't realise until watching it like this time around, like, because it's, I say it was what, 1984? 84, yeah. Yeah, so it's 31 years old. It doesn't look shit at all. Like, not at all, because they're not CGI. They're all animatronic, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So, and because everything's animatronic, they just look animatronic. They don't look like really crap CGI effects. Because they're all I, things that were there that had been built. Yeah. And I've, I've said this about a few films in the past that I've, I've gotten hold of on Blu-ray, and I've watched and gone, well, this still looks awesome because, you know, it was real. And it wasn't something someone put together in paint afterwards. <laughs> and I think, you know, Gremlins really is one of those films that really benefits from that. And it doesn't, obviously, it's a bit dated with the stupid inventions that his dad does that keep going wrong. And yeah, everything looks like it's early 80s. But outside of that, you know, it does, it's not horrendously dated and it still looks really cool. Just talking about dated CGI, have you seen the trailer for the, the second Michael Bay Turtles film? 
Yeah. Oh, fuck's sake. Oh, it, it, it looks like they've taken 1990s stop motion for Bebop and Rocksteady. They I move don't... so awkwardly. I genuinely don't understand how anybody thought it was a good idea to make a second one of those. It looks like the cut, the a cut scene from a PlayStation 2 game. Yeah, it just oh, it's got some of the worst. I mean, my you know my childhood took a serious knock when I was watching that that first movie. But man, you know they, I can't even remember which one it is. One of them's really skeevy. It's like a, it sounds like a sex offender. <laughs> Horrendous. And I don't like Megan Fox at all, but I'm sitting watching this going, you can't fucking say that. This is like the Ninja Turtles. This is supposed to be for kids. Oh, yeah. Michelangelo, isn't it? Yeah. Stop talking about how she makes your special places tingle. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. And Will Arnett just oogling her the whole film. Yeah. It's all a bit creepy. But I didn't think it was... There were moments in that film that were okay. It's not a good film overall, but it was no better or worse than Star Wars 7. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen myself a couple of Christmas films. Um, one of them, Callum spoke about it fairly recently, I think. I think he might have had a triple bill with one of the people in it as, as there is people. I'm not quite sure why he was, was bringing it, it outside movie? of Christmas. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, no, it's Arthur Christmas, which is a 2011 animated film. Um, by Ardman Animations, starring uh, James McAvoy as Arthur, Hugh Laurie as his brother, Bill Dye as his, his granddad, and Jim Broadman as his dad, who's Father Christmas, and it's all about the spirit of Christmas and all that kind of stuff. It's really good. It's a new spectrum kind of Ardman Animations. It's really good, um, a very good modern Christmas film, and a lot of Christmas films or Christmas animations, uh, uh, animations are, are pretty average at the very best. This one is a, is a cut above and, and well worth seeing if you like Christmas films. The other one I've seen, just to be a bit contentious, is Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas film? I hear yes. everyone ask. Yes. I'd say no, yes. It definitely is. Because it's about a man who's trying to get home to see his family at Christmas. Like Christmas, yeah, but better. <laughs> yeah, that is the crux of the story. It is a man... And something happens to him that might stop him getting to see his kids at Christmas. It's like sometimes but, you have parties, and there's uninvited guests, and they yeah. just ruin the mood. Sometimes yeah. they bring guns. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple of reasons why people don't think of it as a Christmas by, movie. By people, do you mean you? No, I think it is a Christmas <laughs> movie. I think it is. Um, but it wasn't originally meant to be a Christmas film, was it? Because it was a summer blockbuster. Well, yeah, but so was Gremlins. Gremlins was a summer blockbuster. Was it? I didn't know that. Well, there we go. But that just proves it then, because Gremlins most definitely is a Christmas film. But this was an action film, and action film were action films. Not from like now, where it's like Taken 4 and it's a 12A. This is is Bruce Willis fucking stuff up, and with one-liners and catchphrases, and Mm. just just being... being No shoes. no shoes and being a massive knobhead and like not actually not actually help where well, he does help things but you really don't know how he is because he's just like die, die hard was good yeah but like he's just a complete idiot to the bad guy and, a, and somehow manages to win it's brilliant yeah i think we're all in agreement yeah. i mean it's a good film i think Great i went film. to my local independent cinema 
did it as a Christmas showing a few years ago. Like the year beforehand, they did It's a Wonderful Life, and then they did Die Hard for Christmas. I went, yes, <laughs> let's go see that. It really was the most wonderful time of the year. Is, is <laughs> Die Hard 2 a Christmas film? It's set in the winter, definitely. Is that a Christmas film mm. as well? It's I can't, I can't remember. remember. It's yeah, but it's not as good, so... No, my, my theory on Die Hard films is that the more area the film is set over, the worse the film. See, my theory Apart is... Apart from Die Hard with the Vengeance, because that's great. It's still third best for me. It taught me how to do that thing with the three litres and the five litres to get four litres. <laughs> I can only remember, remember it because of that. I can, I can still never remember it. <laughs> I can, it's thanks to this. How'd you do it then? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually quizzing us, because that's insane. Right, yeah. you take... <laughs> you pour, pour five from the five into the yeah, three. Yeah, you, fill the, you, you, know, you fill the three, fill the three, put it into the five. You fill the three again. You put it into five. That gives you five in the five, one in the three. Empty the five. Put the one from the three into the five, and then fill the three up again and put that into the five. Done. There we go. But on my Thank way, you, Simon. But on my way to St Ives. <laughs> wow. None. No one else is going to St Ives. None. Just you. Anyway. Brian, what have you seen? This all Christmassy and stuff. I watched the most Christmassy thing I could think of, which was Die Hard. Uh, no, Long Okay, the most familiar Christmassy thing because <laughs> the the Mad Men episode where they have a Christmas party. It's called Christmas Only Comes Once a Year, or something like that. It's season four, episode two. For those of you who think of TV in that way, basically the firms. Because what madmen always do is they go, oh, we've got a little problem. We'll just start another firm and buy someone or whatever. So the firm's had a hard time. There'll be no big Christmas party this year. Everyone's sad. And then their main customer, who is a Class A bell end, says, "Hey guys, I'm in town for the Christmas party. I hope it's going to be amazing." So you have to throw a massive Christmas party that nobody wants to go to because they all know they can't afford it. Um, and it's all about this kind of thing. I feel like you have to have fun, having to put on appearances for everyone else, and also be made to sit, or having a grown man sit on your lap and make you beg for money. And then the whole thing about trying to get on with your neighbour but shagging your secretary instead. Like I said, the most familiar Christmas tale I can <laughs> think of. I just like that it's not particularly festive. I mean, Mad Men's cynical. But there's also a bit of positivity and light that comes through it, but there's not so much in this. It's all about the idea that the, the show you put on for people is no one year as important as how you actually feel and if you're okay with yourself. And this all saying Christmas is just a massive show you put on so everyone else can see how much fun you're having. Grump. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that kills the mood spectacularly. Yeah. yeah. I haven't felt that bad since I was stepped out of Star Wars 7. <laughs> <laughs> Time for Triple Bill now, which is taking a festive theme. The festive theme is our film of past, present and future, essentially. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Effectively, so practically. Each person is picking a film they saw for the first time ever in 2015, so that would be a 2015 film. 
just one they've seen for the first time this year, uh, their favourite film from 2015, and the film they're most looking forward to in 2016. So we'll start off in round-robin format, as we've changed the way we do Triple Bill. If you haven't heard of one recently, and we're going to go through all of our past films. Owen, commence. That's French for commence, which means come on. <laughs> I, I was lost then. I had no idea what you meant, but I, I'm glad, glad you translated it for yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> yes, okay, my Christmas past. So, as we sort of discussed, film released prior to 2015. I watched it for the first time in 2015. It took me ages to narrow it down um, because I've watched quite a few films this year that I've really enjoyed. Uh, but my favourite film is by Werner Herzog. And actually, before I start, Steve, you'll be able to confirm this. I love watching schlocky old B movies, right? Oh, yeah. It's- Stuff by Roger Corbin, Jack Arnold. I've made you sit through an Albert Pyram film. Do you remember what that was? I year? don't. I don't. Was Go it something complete... to do with cyborgs and ninjas? Yeah. Do you remember what it was called, Brooker? I don't. I just know what Albert Pyram does. The, the cyborg ninja hour. The yeah. cyborg. <laughs> it could be. Yes. If, it, if you could throw kickboxing into it somehow, then it would definitely be. Yeah. Um, was, it the, was it the kick puncher film from Community? No, but I think that is kind of an ode to Cyborg and Amiga Doom and uh, Nemesis and all of Albert Pyon's films. But basically, I've got a lot of love for those kind of films. But also, there is a side to me that Steve will also be, be able to confirm that is kind of pretentious and likes slightly pretentious movies as well from time to time. And I think uh, some of Werner Herzog's fictional movies, although some of his documentaries maybe, kind of cross the border into slightly pretentious territory as well. But that's fine with me, I don't mind. I, like I said, I like those, and as far as I'm concerned, he is one of the best filmmakers ever that we've ever had. So when he tries to do something that's a bit different, I'm glad. I'm glad. So this year, for the first time, I've seen stuff of his like Fitzcarraldo and Heart of Glass, as well as documentaries like The Land of Silence and Darkness and Encounters at the End of the World. Um, but I struggled to decide between two of his films I'd seen that I would consider to be my favourite. And However, as much as I loved Strozek, if I was feeling slightly more pretentious, as I often do, then I'd probably suggest that The Enigma of Caspar Hauser, which was released in 1974, would be my favourite film released prior to 2015 that I watched in 2015. Are any of you guys familiar with... I know you've seen a few of his films, Brooker, but have, have any of you guys watched any Werner Herzog movies? You said Werner Herzog, and my brain parsed as uh, Uwe Ball. Oh. <laughs> and it, for, the first, wow. for the first minute, I thought, this doesn't make any sense. I've not seen any Werner Herzog. Okay. But no, definitely, definitely not Uwe Ball. That is that's a pretty hardcore, hardcore uh, mismatch, that one. Oh. That would be, yeah. He probably thinks of himself as a bit like Werner Herzog, but he's not. Um, yes, so. Uh, yeah, Enigma of Caspar Hauser, then. It's based on an old German legend and stars a guy called Bruno S. as the titular character, who himself is kind of an enigma. He's a strange, well, he was a strange, uh, quite troubled chap who only starred in, like, two films, I think, but absolutely perfectly suited to Herzog's movie. Um, the story of Casper Hauser goes that he's a man who's raised in complete isolation. I mean, literally just locked in one small dungeon from the moment he was born until he reached adulthood, who had no interaction with any other human being apart from the one person who came to feed him 
and that's it. So he couldn't walk, he couldn't speak or care for himself or really do anything. And then one day in the year 1828, he's just released. And he's got a handwritten note by the person who's been looking after him, but obviously he can't read, he doesn't know what it is. He's just sort of left lying there and standing in the in the middle of Nuremberg in the uh, the early 19th century. And it's, it's about him learning then to fit into society and how society will fit him into it. And then he becomes like a kind of celebrity. And it's the kind of film that a lot of people, and I include myself uh, in this, who watch the first like five minutes and waver slightly. Because I think the first five minutes are designed to filter the audience a little bit. And that's what I mean by it being quite pretentious. Because it's quite a long, hazy, dreamlike opening few minutes where nothing really makes sense. You're dumped straight into the story. There's no exposition. There's no explanation. Um, to top it off, there's about two to three minutes during the opening sequence of some like classical music playing whilst the camera is just shooting pictures of some reeds in a stream. So automatically, people are going to switch off at that point. And I nearly did. And I'm pretty sure the intention is to say to people, look, if you aren't willing to watch this, then the rest of this like arty farty film probably ain't going to be your cup of tea either. Um, or it could just be to set the mood, whatever whatever Herzog was thinking at the time. But I find the film really fascinating, though. It's like an incredible... It's a true story, sort of. Um, there's a debate about how real Caspar Hauser's claims were, uh, who the film's based on, because whether he was a fraud or whether it was something that genuinely happened to him, you can't really tell. You'll never really know. Um, but the film tells the story as if it were completely true, which I loved about it. And it, like I say, it won't be a film for everybody. I completely get that. that. There's nothing wrong with that. People like different things. It doesn't make anyone more superior or less superior than anybody else. It, it's just like everyone's, you know, films are subjective, right? People are going to like this kind of thing. People are going to hate it. And that's fine. But I personally fucking loved the ending of Caspar Hauser. And once I thought about it a bit more, um, there haven't really been many films that I've watched this year for the first time that can compete with it. It's just, it's one of the best films I've ever seen easily okay brooker i i am nowhere near as highbrow as a, a Werner herzog movie <laughs> just just not uh, although i will <clears throat> i will admit that it is my one is from one of my favorite directors uh i and i only watched it this year it only came out last year i only watched it this year because i missed it completely at cinema last year and I didn't get to see it until it premiered on Sky. And that's uh, Lucy with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh. I, I literally, <laughs> I missed it completely when it came out of the cinema. And I was absolutely gutted. And I know it polarizes people. There's there's no one I know that says, oh, it's just all right. People either like, like me and love it or go, it's the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen. And the people that say it's the biggest pile of shit I've ever seen, you're wrong. <laughs> you, you just are. <laughs> it's 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 like eighty five minutes long, and it's just Luke Besson being Luke Besson for an hour and a half. And I'm such a fan of everything he does. Uh, I, for Christ's sake, I I named my kid after one of his characters. I, is that right? Is that why she's called? That's oh, okay. We called her Nikita <laughs> after the film. Yeah. She, uh, you know, it's, and after we saw. Lucy, the argument then became that if we have another one, she's going to be called Lucy. <laughs> this is how much I loved the film. And 
like I say, we watched it. It must have been January, February. It premiered on Sky. I've watched it two or three times since, and I tend not to do that uh, with films. I certainly don't watch them two or three times in the same year at home. But no, I absolutely adored this film. So, I mean, it is the quickest of all quick rundowns for any movie, though, isn't it? A woman who is dosed with an experimental drug and all of a sudden she becomes superhuman. It's basically limitless, but not a complete pile of shite. And I I adored how this film rolled out. Just her becoming this crazy superhero, just batshit nuts woman who could do absolutely anything and control the world with her mind. I thought it was brilliant. And it was it wasn't even a switch off and enjoy kind of film. I was rooting for her on the edge of my seat the entire time. And I, I was riveted to the screen the entire 80-something minutes it was on. Just, I can't. One of my favourite films of the last few years, easily. I saw it in the cinema and thought it was quite fun. I mean, it's incredibly stupid, but stupid fun, I think. People can pick apart the story and, you know, the whole Morgan Freeman speech about using your brain power and stuff is just... (laughs) And it loses its fucking mind at the end. It just goes full-on bananas. It's crazy, yeah. But I just... It's you. If you're gonna do stupid, silly, daft films, you just gotta to commit to it 100%. And he does completely. Mm. I'm not. I'm still not sure if I liked it or not. I get the impression that it was nonsense, but it was really good-looking nonsense. Mm. Like it's everything it does is stylish. Yeah. Um. I think the the bit where she wakes up and she she wakes up chained in a room and she beats the guard up with the belt and is does she, does she switch the, the gravity of the room or something and it all tilts one way I, I, I don't know I, I don't know you, you've got it right I don't know if she switches the gravity of the room yeah, or but it's it's, camera it, it's, or something bizarre happens but I just the, the thing I love about Lucy is I just look at I don't question it I just assume it's all okay yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's just visually it's a film where Anything could happen next. Yeah, and I I liked that bit. The the story I thought was was guff. <laughs> um, but apart, from, yeah, good bits and bad bits. But it it did at least it was visually engaging. And also the English language debut of Choi Min Sik. Yes, it was first English language film. Who was very good in it? Yeah, should have had a bigger part. Should have done. Yeah, you're right there. I think you should have done as well. It should have had a lot more focus on him as the gangster sort of trying to track her down. And it it, it kind of wavered. Yeah, and I'm I'm a very big fan, though, I have to admit, of what what that film done for for Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I know she's Black Widow, and I know she was spectacular in Holy Crap, I've forgotten the name of the alien movie she was in. Under the Skin. Under the Skin. Fucking hell, Mm. that was embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> completely ruined my train of thought because I forgot about the name of the film I was talking about. But, you know, I think out, outside of, like, the Marvel Universe, I think it solidifies her brilliantly as a, a decent action actress. Hmm. Doesn't sound quite right. But yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think, you know, yeah, it would have been better if Moss's face had a bigger part, absolutely. But I, I thought it was absolutely a vehicle for her to show off what she can do. And I... You know, like I say, every single minute of it, I adored it. 
and I adored her in it. Okay. The film I saw for the first time, I found this really difficult, actually, um, because I just can't... Obviously, I remember seeing films. You said to me, have you seen this? Yes, I have. No, I haven't. But I couldn't tell you, unless it saw it in the cinema and knew what year it was released, I couldn't tell you what when I saw it. So I was struggling to think, what films have I seen for the first time this year? One of them that came to mind was Up, the Pixar film. And for some reason, I like Pixar, big fan of Pixar. They do a lot of obviously very excellent films. I had somehow let Up slip past me and, and not seen it until this year. And it is, in not just my opinion, but a lot of people's opinion, one of Pixar's best. Yeah, I'll agree um, with that. I mean, I've still not, I've still not seen Inside Out. Uh, Up is better, I think. I do think Inside Out pips it just a little bit, but that's kind of just... I think that's more because it resonates a lot with me as a film. I think Inside Out is much um, bigger in scope, isn't it, in the things it tries to to explain? Because it's all about, you know, emotions and what a young girl goes through when she's left... when she's, you know, moved home, lost her friends, all that kind of thing. It's very clever, but I think Up also... Is I don't know. I find it quite funny, and I know up, that's one of the things. Up that has people... the first five minutes of Up, which will up has add first, two yeah. stars to any film. Mm. That that just because fucking... that was amazing. It is and also horrible. I mean, the I... opening ten minutes is it's more scarring than the opening ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's up up's got kind of whatever. It, it visually looks good or great, like Pixar films do. It's it's funny. It's heartwarming. It's it's emotional. It's it's charming. It's it's everything that Pixar aspire to be when they're not making their fourth unneeded sequel of Toy Story or Cars Four or whatever they're doing. Finding Dory, I think, is next, isn't it? I believe yep. so. Yes. Anybody yeah. asked for that? Ellen the genres uh, need some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, up. I'm, I'm not going to say go and see it because everyone else probably has. And I, I don't know how it managed to get past me, but uh, yeah, happy that I did see it. Um, Brian, your film from your film past. This is from 2014. <laughs> it's a film called Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig as twins. The, the synopsis that I read online says, after cheating death on the same day, two twins... No, they don't cheat death. They both try to commit suicide at the same day and don't. He goes into a bath and then you, you see the water go red. And then it cuts to her at a sink with her left hand full of pills and her right hand with a ringing phone. So she goes to collect her brother, who she's not seen in ages, because he's moved out to L.A. to make his name as a screenwriter and an actor. He's done nothing with it. And it's about these two, or they get back together and reconnect and go through all the things that made them drift apart. And it's it's about changing as people, who you become, who you wanted to become. It's about reconnecting with your family and how important they are. It's a comedy. It's the funniest film I think I've seen this year. But it's also done in, like, three-thirds. The first bit is all about suicide. The middle third is all the comedy. And then the last bit is back to committing suicide. But yeah, the the funny bits I was genuinely howling at some bits in the middle. It's not a thing that will translate to me telling you on a, a pod. You'll have to trust me. That 
when they do the comedy because there's some bits that were scripted, some bits are improvised. Wig and Hader get on really well on the screen. They've got a presence. Kristen Wig's got this, or her character's got this issue where she's trying to conceive she's in a relationship with Luke Wilson. Is that the second-rate Wilson? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And she's also doing lots of evening classes, which gives an excuse to go out and get shagged against the wall by her diving instructor. Therefore, she feels terrible and tries to kill herself. But it's it's affirming at the end because it's about being the person you want to be, not the person that society and circumstance has railroaded you into becoming. It's about confronting the person that you used to be and either accepting them and getting rid of them and there's a lot of jokes in the middle. It's an independent thing. It opened in like 25 cinemas in America mm. um, or maybe even 15. I was only able to get it on Love Film because it wasn't out in cinemas in the UK, I don't think. Um, I think it had a I'd... very limited showing because a couple of my friends went to see it and... Um kept telling me to see it and it just wasn't showing anywhere. So I think it had a very limited showing across the I'd, UK. I'd go hunting for it. It's it's fun. And there's a there's a, a lip syncing bit in the middle of it which is funnier than it has any rights to be. Because I'm generally not a fan of, oh, let's be wacky and have a song. But it, mm. it, it was right for the film and right for the characters and it was really good. Has anyone oh. else actually seen it? Or am I... No, no, but it, no. we had a couple of people vote for it last year in the Fail Critics Awards, actually. And like I say, a couple of my friends saw it, and I think both of them said it was their film of last year. So, yeah, I was a bit disappointed not to see it. I haven't really noticed it about anywhere since then, to be honest. I mean, it's not on Netflix, is it? I mean, it's just like... I have no idea. Okay. I, I get so... all my films through Love Film by Post, because mm-hmm. I'm still in 2005. I literally cancelled that yesterday. I cancelled Netflix because there was nothing on. Netflix for me is an engine to go through and go, I want this film. Here's a film like this film. No. <laughs> I, I want this film. Mm. Films like, no. The, the disappointment engine is what it is. It's better when you can open it up to other regions if you have the means to do that and then you get a bit more variety uk netflix is actually you what i've started to notice recently with uk netflix is it's better for tv stuff absolutely it's better for tv stuff than it is for films i have a flatmate who who mainlined desperate housewives so i watched one episode in seven of desperate housewives (laughs) because i'd I'd leave they'd be working all day with that on in the background they come and say i thought that didn't they used to be divorced? Wasn't she dead? <laughs> oh, no, it, it, we've moved on now. Uh, anyway, on to our films of present, our favourite film from this year. Owen, start us off with that. Okay, so I really don't think 2015 has been a great year for films, to be honest. I'll put that out there straight away. There have only been a handful of movies that could possibly have made this list for me, especially when I filtered out like, documentaries, of which I think there have been a few extraordinary ones this year. Birdman is my choice, and it wasn't even supposed to be a 2015 release because it came out in America last year and was released in the UK on the 1st of January. Literally the first movie to be released in 2015 over here. Another reason that I was slightly unsure about choosing it for this 
was that even though I fucking loved it in the cinema, I haven't seen it again since. And those people that I've recommended it to have pretty much hated Birdman. I can't. I don't think I've recommended Birdman to anybody, and they've come back to me and said I really like that, which makes me slightly nervous to watch I, it again. I really enjoyed Birdman. I, oh, good. I thought it was no. spectacular. My the wife, not quite so much. Mm. But me, no, was... I, I sat and watched. I was riveted after. I really enjoyed it like a lot. But it's good. it's becoming far too common. This oh, it, it came out two months after it came out in the states. Thing that's what a load of bullshit in 2015 that's pathetic yeah it, it's really uh, I mean Creed we talked about last week I mean why it can't come out here at the same time I just anyway that's a whole different tangent but yeah, yeah I'm glad to hear that you liked Birdman no I really well. enjoyed Birdman I, I loved it brilliant because I... I don't think there's a funnier film or more entertaining film that's been released in the cinema all year there I think you might be wrong <laughs> but I really well, enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I thought every member of the cast in it was fantastic. Ed Norton and Emma Stone are great. Of course, Michael Keaton though, who put in what is probably his best ever performance, was superb all the way through. The idea of casting him as a movie star, best known for his work as a superhero, which he can't seem to escape, despite his like egotistical attempt to reinvent <laughs> himself as a stage actor. How could you not love the idea of that film in principle, at least? You know, it is very meta, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's and great. And also of Ed Norton basically playing Ed Norton. Ed, yeah, Ed Norton playing up to his stereotype. He, I think a little bit of Emma Stone in there as well as a kind of stroppy, um, stoner teen kind of thing. You know, I think they they do quite well with the the, the casting of that film of Burma. Um but also like. Uh, what's his name? Michael Keaton's manic behaviour and bizarre hallucinations and experiences. They kind of make the film even more interesting to watch anyway. And that's before you even like take into account in your E2's direction, shooting the whole film as if it were just like one long continuous shot. What's despite the In your E2. Alejandro In your E2. He's the guy that he's made The Revenant, isn't he? I believe so. Cool. Yeah, Leonardo that, uh, DiCaprio. That looks strange the trailer i couldn't work out what it was from that i've seen the trailer a couple of times i'm looking at it going i know that dude's name but i don't know where i know it from <laughs> there we go it's the guy that made birdman you thank you yes <laughs> yeah i love i love birdman though. and i like the jazz drumming soundtrack oh, that it's got no absolutely not i it looked beautiful but every time the jazz drumming started i just you hated you it to kill someone <laughs> and that, it was like from five minutes in i thought that we're gonna have a bad time here uh, that, yeah, because the opening bit is with the um, credits coming up, isn't it? With him just randomly doing his jazz drumming. And, then and, and he, he walks respect. past the jazz drummer and I thought, oh. <laughs> I, I really like I've got a bit of a soft spot for jazz music, which I know is bizarre for like you guys that have seen what I look like. <laughs> and I, I absolutely look like the stereotypical heavy metal guy. But I really... I really like have a soft spot for jazz, and yeah, I I sat there bopping away all the way through Birdman. I think this is why I loved it more than a lot of people did, because I just I got into the music as it was going on and really loved it. That's interesting, because I mean I generally don't like jazz. I've tried a couple times and I just don't get it. But the the soundtrack to this and Whiplash, of course, which is also jazz drumming. Yep. Less freestyle jazz, but still. Both of those, I thought, were two of the, the best soundtracks all year. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, so it's a film, I get why people would hate it. It is very smug and up itself. But I just loved every minute of it. And um, yeah, like I say, I'm just slightly scared to rewatch it in case I'm wrong. <laughs> and it's not actually that good. It's not as good as I remember. Okay. Uh, my favourite film from 2015, or one of them anyway, was Ex Machina uh, from right at the start of the year. Um, Alex Garland, film starring Dom Hall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac. Um, a kind of artificial intelligence film. Um, Oscar Isaac plays this, brilliantly plays this kind of eccentric inventor who's invented this AI and gets Dom Hall Gleeson in to kind of see if he can work out if it's actually a real person or not. Both the lead actors in this are just brilliant. I think Oscar Isaac is, is phenomenal in it. Um, Quick question. Where does he come from? Because I've only... That was the first thing I've heard of him in, and he's in tons of stuff next year. Well, he was in... Wasn't he in Inside Lewin Davis? Is that what it's called? I've not seen it, mm. but... Um, he's, he's in the new Star Wars film um, as Poe Dameron. He's in X Men Apocalypse as Apocalypse, um, so he's got some big big hitters coming yeah, out. He's, he's just become huge recently. Yeah, I mean he's obviously very well received in, in Inside Lewin Davis, but the films <laughs> that he's doing now, the big hits that he's going to be in, so Star Wars and X Men's franchise, are completely removed from that. It's not the same kind of film. So people obviously see something in him, and he has been good in what I've seen him in. So yeah. But he's, I mean, I don't, I think at some point in uh, Ex Machina, I was, I was debating whether which three of the main characters were actually AI, not just the one that they were pointing in the direction of. Sometimes, well, hang on, is this a twist, a curveball that so and so's actually him, or the other one's actually him? Or, and yeah, but no, I thought it was brilliant, something original, which in a, in a year or, or next couple of years of just remakes and rehashes and reboots, then yeah. Um, if you've not seen it, see it. I watched it on a plane. And because it was on a plane, it had little fuzzy bars on things. Which is quite good, because <laughs> my neighbour was 12 years old. Hmm. Oh, please don't look over. Please don't look over. Well, your hand's in your pants, then. <laughs> no one can tell because of the tray. A lot of turbulence on this flight, isn't there? <laughs> Anyway, Brian, what, what, what's your pick? Uh, right. Get the theme. In that it's a film called Twinsters, which has been kick-started, and it's about... It's a documentary. It's about an actress called... Sam Futterman had been in Memoirs of a Geisha and a few other bit parts in Hollywood, and she did a video with her pal on YouTube about punching a guy in the dick. And she got a, a Twitter message from someone saying, hey, you look like my pal. And then she gets uh, a friend request on Facebook from Anais. And Anais, is, or Sam, is Korean-American. She was adopted by her parents. Anais is Korean-French. They're going, oh, you're, you're both, we're both from the same place, and we're both got the same birthday, and we're both born in the same hospital, and we've both got the same face. <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm your twin sister and the first five minutes are really oh oh my god this is this is really a huge thing in their life and it's exciting and it's it's powerful and it's cool it is kind of a cool sort of film 
I think it's a sort of film that people who make documentaries on BBC Three want to make. Uh, a lot of it is shot split screen on Skype, so you can see Sam on the left and Anais on the right. And thank God they keep it that way. I can't tell them apart. <laughs> and then there's bits where her her Sam's pal is filming her because her pal is also the director slash uh, cinematographer. And these little notification messages appear. So there's a little Facebook notification pop and then a message from an ace and then Sam's response and then... So it's very social media-ish and it's very trendy. But it's all about communication, bringing people together from around the world and also from your own family that you never knew you had. The The middle bit of the film is all about them meeting up and hanging out with each other and Sam's friend and Anais's friend and Sam's family and Anais's family. And the final bit is them going to Korea to the adoption agencies to see their foster mothers before they're adopted. And that bit is quite cool. And then they want to get in touch with their birth mother. And their birth mother says, I didn't have any children, let alone twins. Go away. Yeah. Well, especially for Anais, because... Like, Sam has brothers, so she's part of a big family. And yes, my brothers aren't Korean, but they're my brothers. Whereas Anais has, my mum didn't want me. My parents only decided to have me because they couldn't have children. And I really wanted the film to spend more time talking to Anais to find out what she thinks about this and how her life has been changed by being adopted and finding this sister. It was kind of superficial. And that's partly because it follows Sam. And I think also partly because you can't really make your new twin sister that vulnerable on film and then release it to everyone. Mm. It would It's just a little bit too much to do. So it's missing that bit, which would have been really good to see because Anissa's story would be fantastic. And after you go to Korea, um, Anissa's still a little bit upset, but... There's a Korean adoption conference. So everyone who has been adopted from Korea gets together every three years. And they say, right, we should go to this. And they go and they have this thing about, um, okay, you, you've left us, but we are still your family. You can come back to us. We always have space for you. And it's a little bit uplifting at the end. I wanted there to be a little title card at the end to say, here's how the girls have got on since. But it after the film stops, it just stops. But I've, I really want to find out how Anais is doing. Most of what you can find on social media just now is the girls promoting their film, which is fine. But I do want to find out how Anais feels about all this stuff and if how it would have changed her if she had known this like 10 years ago because it's so a really big thing to have happen to you when you're 25, I think. Maybe a little bit younger than that. Okay. So it just feels like it's not gone deep enough, I guess. But we're still yeah. kind of interested? Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely recommend it. It's a really good story. Here's I actually have a twin brother, but I knew him all the time. Um, <laughs> so I'm just drawn to things that are about twins and that relationship. They they do a bit where they do, like they get a, a DNA test and say, yes, you're twin sisters. And they check who of the twins their personality and character traits I find that Sam is massively high on extrovert Anais not so much Anais massively high on moodiness 
Sam not, but they're broadly the same in everything else. And if they've done bits about, um, I can see that we have the same things. We're just, we have the same way of doing things, even though we've been brought up miles apart. There was a thing on ITV years ago about twins that had been raised apart from each other. And one was two Germans, one who was brought up in the Caribbean, one who was brought up in Germany. And when they met up, they went, oh, you, you do that thing with your face. And oh, we both have mustaches. That's uncanny. And then one did a massive, massive sneeze, like excessively loud. And he did it just to make people jump. The other one went, I do that too, because it's funny when they <laughs> jump. And if we'd done bits about what made a nice and Nathan, what made Sam Sam, and what made them so similar, that would have been cool too. But it was more like, wow, wow, I've got a sister, wow, that's amazing, wow, our friends. It, it does feel like a missed opportunity. I think it might be better if someone that wasn't Sam had done it, because she was, she's looking at her too own involved, story. Yeah. If someone was able to take a little step back and say, I want to know this stuff, that'd be good. Okay, it is sure. a good film, I do recommend it. It just wasn't what I was hoping for when I watched it. Okay, Brooker, it's your your present there, or 2015 film. My 2015 film's really, really easy, because you, you know, like somebody says to you every year, someone says to you, oh, what's, your, what's your best film this year? And you kind of have to go, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, not a chance. This year, absolutely. Still, like eight months later, Mad Max. <laughs> no two ways about it. <clears throat> I stand by what I said. It is still a perfect film. I... I loved it. I think I saw it at cinema three or four times. I've watched it again. I've watched it three or four times since. I can't stop watching this film. It is just amazing. The, my favourite film of this year, my favourite film maybe of the last five years, it's just spectacular. So the the thing with Mad Max is it, it doesn't do anything particularly different, even though it's like the fourth Mad Max film and really it should be changing things up a little bit. It still feels like Mad Max, so it's it's Max living in post-apocalyptic world. You're not quite sure what caused it, but, you know, it's just everything is sand and dust and everybody's after petrol. And, yeah, it's him and the, the gangs he, he comes up against. And Char- Charlie's Theron is the, the first proper decent female in this series because I do not, rate Tina Turner in number three. (laughs) (laughs) That is maybe one of the worst casting choices I've seen in quite some time. Uh, But yeah, like Charlie's Theron as, as Fury, I can't pronounce the name. Heritress Furiosa. Yeah. Yeah. She's just spectacular. And like I I said it when the film came out, up there with, you know, your, your Sarah Connors and your Ellen Ripley's for really, really hardcore chicks in films. Absolutely spectacular. Tom Hardy doing the Mel Gibson thing just blew me away. And I know I'm biased because I love <laughs> everything Tom Hardy does, except Legend. Uh, you know, I I just adored this film. And I can't, the more I watch it, the more I just, I love it. I can't get bored watching it. And it's got a dude on a truck made of speakers playing a guitar that shoots fire. (laughs) It's the most fucking metal thing I've seen ever. It's just amazing. Yeah, they didn't have that in Carol or Brooklyn or (laughs) 
rope or any of those films, did they? This is it. None of that (laughs) soppy shit. Just give me guitars that spew fire off of of trucks made of speakers and drums, and I'm a happy, happy man. (laughs) Did I talk about this last time I was on? Because I've got a pal who's obsessed with Mad Max, so they share all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like how all the the wives had a little knitting circle, and they taught each other to knit. (laughs) And all the, the war boys... They just followed Immortan Joe around. He said, right, I'm your dad. Stick with me. And they did, because they loved Immortan Joe. And the story behind Fury Road is as much fun as the story of actual Fury Road. It had an absolutely insane production, though, didn't it? It took 15 years to make the bloody thing. Yeah, but... That's because he was too busy making stuff like Happy Feet. Yeah, fucking Stuart Little. A babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just—it's such a cool film, and you know, cause the the guy that plays the the head war boy is toe cut from the original, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And I still can't believe it's this Nick Holt, Nick Holt, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just fuck. What's the, the idea? Better boy. But, you know, I loved it. I didn't realise it was the dude that played Beast in X-Men. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, since he's been in Kill Your Friends, which I adored, you know, I just... The whole film's just... It is. It's perfect. Okay. Anyway, uh, on to our films for next year we're looking forward to. I was having a look through the films for next year for this bit, obviously, and Mm -hmm. there's just a ton of remakes or reimaginings or reboots or sequels or prequels and it just looks a bit tiring i mean you've got your you've got the next couple of films in the marvel series you've got the dawn of justice and suicide squad there seems to be a remake of jumanji happening for some reason (laughs) out in december makes no sense to me you've got uh, the next films in the star trek and independence day series as as a films you've got here's uh, a spoiler star trek is going to be shit i'll say it now and uh, better Star Wars. And Independence Day is going to oh, be yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's, it's, there's a, a re remake of the BFG. There's a remake of the Jungle Book. So I've picked probably the only original film that I could see out this year: the Shane Black directed film starring Russell Crowe oh. and yeah. Ryan Gosling, and it's the Nice Guys. And it just from the trailer looks absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we've got crossover here. Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't it doesn't it just look great fun with with Russell Crowe fighting around the world. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it's exactly that. It looks a lot of fun. If you just take, like, the description from Wikipedia, which describes the whole plot in about three lines, the film takes place in 1970s Los Angeles when Dodon is looked private eye, Holland March, in brackets, Ryan Gosling, and hired enforcer Jackson Healy, Russell Crowe, must work together to solve the case of a missing girl, Margaret Keeley, I think that's her name, and the seemingly unrelated death of a porn star. During their investigation, they uncover a shocking conspiracy that reaches up to the highest circles of power. Now, the story sounds kind of okay. It doesn't sound particularly original or impressive. Well, it's, but it's not original. It's kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's kiss, kiss, bang, bang again. <laughs> exactly. It's kiss, kiss, bang, bang. It's Shane Black, um, who most people should know his name already. Most people should know who Shane Black is. Yeah. You know, he's the guy behind Iron Man 3, wrote Predator, Lethal Weapon, Last Action Hero. It was the highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood 
during the 90s. Yeah, and the new guys, it just looks like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, again, in that pulpy, comedic, modernised film noir style, with a double act thing going on, like in Last Boy Scout, with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans, and Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, and Kiss Kiss Bang If it's the same film again, but in 70s Los Angeles, but with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, that's fine with me. I'm all up for that. Yeah, maybe it's not as original as I thought then, but it just look, it just looks fun, and it's just <laughs> not. I mean, there's plenty of these franchise films that I will see. I've one I forgot to mention was the first Star Wars film that's not part of the, the Star Wars numbered sequence, Rogue One, which is a, a heist film about the plans to uh, the, the plan to steal the plans for the Death Star, which for me looks like a, a fun concept. But you know, we'll see how it goes. Whatever. But yeah. It's, it's, this one just didn't look like it's part of a franchise or anything like that, and looked and looked good. Um, so me and Owen have, have done ours. Um, yeah. Brooker, you? I, I don't want to pick mine because mine mine's a franchise one. Well, it's not. A, it's not a problem. <laughs> I was just trying to be a bit different. I could. Is it Bridget Jones' baby? It is absolutely. I can't live yeah. without a little bit of fucking Bridget Jones. Or you can go for the original The Angry Birds movie. Oh, fuck, is also no, no, no I cannot. Have you seen the trailer for that thing? It looks horrendous. No, no yeah. I have not. I, well, by, I the, have... by the by, I'm not going to see the Jumanji remake out of principle. Well, you, there shouldn't be a remake to Jumanji. No, no, something, some... Are you going to see that? No. I've... I might if there's nothing on that week and I need something to review. <laughs> yes. um... <laughs> I'll be on that one. You but, know, when you wake up one morning and go, oh, did I do something stupid last night? <laughs> I signed up for Dad's Army and Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Brilliant. No, I mean, I, I looked through the list. I looked at what was coming, and there's, there's some awesome-looking films coming. Uh, and High Rise came very close to being picked, because mm-hmm. I'm desperate to see High Rise. But one film kind of pips it out. And it's so obvious because it's me and pretty much anybody that's listened to me talk about any film I like will know that I'm going to pick Suicide Squad mm-hmm. because it's David Ayer and it's it looks like a really dark crime film. And it's absolutely my cup of tea. I love films like that. And the the trailer looks spectacular. You know, and I've, I've ragged on DC a lot about some of their films and I really don't like the look of... Bats vs. Soups. It looks like utter bollocks, but... It will be. It will oh. be utter bollocks, but I will absolutely give Suicide Squad a chance, mainly because of the guy making it. Same way as Zack Snyder fans will go and watch Batman vs. Superman, even though they know it's going to be shit, because they like Zack Snyder. Yeah, guilty. But yeah. But I don't why think... it's shit. No, well, I, I've said it since, like, <clears throat> Dawn of the Dead. That guy has got it in him to make a properly good film at some point in his career and I go into each one okay. each of his movies thinking it's going to be this one it's going to be it's going to be Watchmen uh, Watchmen was good it's not the film okay well he's doing Superman it'll be Man of Steel it's not quite Man of Steel but Super- Batman vs Superman Apocalypse um, Edition yeah well Su- Superman Apocalypse Dubstep Edition yes I'll have that <laughs> But no, everything I mean, in slow motion. Everything in slow motion with really, really loud bass lines. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, Suicide Squad. You know, outside of it being a DC property, it looks like it's going to be kind of dark. I'm a bit dubious because it looks like they're aiming for PG-13 in the states, mm. which could drop it down 
to you know twelve A over here, which always kind of sets me on edge. But you know, Dark Knight was twelve A and it was spectacular. So you never know. I I have faith in David Ayer and he will he will do me a good job in Suicide Squad. I'm sure of it. He will even make uh, Will Smith watchable next year. <laughs> and uh, Brian, your film for next year. I've done a last minute swerve. I was going to talk about Captain America Civil War, but I was massively disappointed with all the franchise films on there. And then I found in the list Hail Caesar, the oh, Coen yeah. Brothers film. Yeah. I knew nothing about it until I saw a trailer for it, I think before Spectre. Mm-hmm. And I sat forward at it and thought, it's George Clooney, it's the Coen Brothers. I quite liked Burn After Reading. Not just because... George Clooney's rocking chair is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I doubt we're going to see that in this film, but it's different and it's interesting, and it'll probably be very good. I have no idea what it's about, <laughs> other than it's set in 50s, 40s Hollywood. Yeah, uh, he gets kidnapped, I think. As um, It's like a, an actor, a famous yep. actor, and I think he gets kidnapped and held ransom. The, the the synopsis on Google is a Hollywood fixer, Josh Berlin, springs into action when a movie star, George Clooney, gets kidnapped and an actress becomes pregnant. What? <laughs> it's not much of a. It's not giving much away, is it? No, no, it's not. Yeah. Um, and there's a picture of George Clooney doing some serious face acting in a full Roman emperor regalia. Yeah. <laughs> Working those eyebrows. It. It'll be fun. I imagine, although my parents hated Burn After Reading. I thought it was great. So, Yeah, I kind of like Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading's alright. I wasn't su- such a fan of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I thought I, it was okay. I've not seen but... that yet. It's on my list, but I've not seen it yet. I should put it at the top of my list. You might like it, yeah. If you like I, Coen I Brothers and we'll... Clooney, then, yeah. Okay, um, so that's all for, for Triple Bill. Nearly all for the podcast for this week. So we're just left with our recommendations for the uh, festive period. Mine itself isn't really a Christmas film, but it will put you in a, a cheerful mood. That is ITV2, Wednesday the 23rd of December at 7 o'clock, and Uncle Buck. Oh, yeah. Mm. Owen? Uh, to make up for a comment I made about Tim Burton earlier, on Christmas Day on BBC2 at 1.45 is Frank and Weenie. And I wouldn't normally recommend a Tim Burton movie, but it was actually quite decent. It was quite funny. It's an animated film based on an old short that he made years ago. Um, Brooker? Uh, cheating ever so slightly, but on uh, right up until like the middle of next year on Sky On Demand is Gremlins. So and It's Christmas, so download Gremlins and watch it. Okay, and um, Brian? Cheating slightly more slightly. Uh, BBC are doing a Dickensian theme this Christmas and part of that is Sherlock is back for one episode I think New Year's Day it's the only Christmas TV that looks moderately passable for me I've given up on Doctor Who but Sherlock even though it's taking the thing that makes Sherlock different in that it's set in modern London I'll be interested to see how it goes probably very self-congratulatory and smug (laughs) but we'll see Okay, well, that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you all for joining us. It's been a pleasure taking you for a Christmas journey. 
and we hope you all will join us for the end of year special, which promises to, as always, be a, a cracking listen. And then join us in the new year for more film related goodness in 2016. And you can find the website in the meantime over at dopecritics.com. And don't forget to vote in the awards. There's still time. You can still do it. Yes, do that. Just not for Star Wars. It was awful. It was terrible. Yeah. No, it was really good, but it was terrible. But it was, it was quite yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, had, it could have done with like three or four more Ewoks in it. At, at least. <laughs> 20 is never enough. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. <laughs> the question is Jamie Vardy's always about to say a word what word is it and the word's cunt <laughs> you just look at his face that's what he's always that's what he's going to say at any given moment Year, right, years ago we came back from the long uh, summer break and my boss was saying Oh, I, I just get really sweary in the holidays because you're not having to be around children to moderate yourself. And, and uh, yeah, I get really sweary too. And I said, I get really sweary. I stole the car in traffic. And my first thought was, fucking shit, cunt. <laughs> and they went, I'm not that sweary. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.